This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 31st, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. As former President Jimmy Carter faces serious medical difficulties, it's worth reflecting on what may have been his greatest domestic achievement, a broad deregulation of shipping, travel, and oil, policy changes that are still delivering massive dividends today. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. He comments. If Cato, well, Cato did exist. It started in 1977, so Cato existed early, or early Cato started in in Jimmy Carter's presidency, but there wasn't much of a Cato presence in the media or in scholarship at that time. If Cato had had more presence, I think they would, um, and by the way, the journal I had at Regulation was also started in 1977 during the Carter presidency. So ironically, the intellectual machinery that was just gearing up to worry about deregulation and the effect of regulation on markets actually some of the most important deregulatory efforts in this century occurred just as the intellectual machinery was gearing up um, to say this was a good thing. And and it, it's a rare for politics to be in front of intellectual machinery. But, but in the well, – and, and I could – it's sort of in front of the intellectual machinery. There actually was scholarship started in, in the late 50s and early 60s that – started much of the deregulation that occurred under Carter, and I can talk about that. So what areas did Jimmy Carter deregulate? And, and I think it's worth noting he had sizable majorities of Democrats in the House and Senate that were going along with all of these deregulatory plans. Yes. So yes. airline travel is the one that I think most Americans can uh, grapple with on a day-to-day basis because air travel – wasn't all that accessible to most Americans before the 1980s and after deregulation. For those who watch Mad Men, they are reminded of what airline travel used to be. Um, It was something that the upper middle and upper classes did and ordinary people did not. I mean, when I was growing up, I can remember, I don't, I didn't know anyone who'd been on a plane. Um, and now, of course, we planes are like Greyhound buses, and buses have even uh, gotten cheaper still, actually. But um, planes are like buses used to be, and that is all because of Jimmy Carter's appointment of Alfred Kahn, who's an economist um, at Cornell University and wrote the textbook called The Economics of Regulation, a two-volume work. And... Khan was uh, appointed to head what was called the Civil Aeronautics Board, the CAB, which um, controlled pricing and entry into all airline routes in the in interstate airline routes in the United States. And they never approved a new entrant. They so so the what are called the legacy airlines, United, Delta, um, and then others that are now defunct, Pan Am. American, well, American's still going, uh, Eastern. Those airlines uh, never applied for new routes and and none were granted and fares were much higher in real real terms than they are now. Carter appointed Alfred Kahn uh, to head the CAB and Alfred Kahn, as head of that regulatory agency, basically got deregulation going for airlines before Congress could figure out what was going on. <laughs> and... And uh, I know Cato doesn't approve of regulatory discretion, but in this case, it actually worked in our favor um, because Alfred Kahn deregulated airlines with before Congress could figure out what was going on. Then Ted Kennedy was running 
seriously thinking of running against Carter for president in 1980 uh, for the Democratic nomination. And uh, Kennedy wanted a legacy to help consumers. This was a time of inflation, large inflation. And uh, Gerald Ford had a campaign called Win, Win Buttons, Whip Inflation Now. Everyone wore those buttons. So Ted Kennedy's staff came to the conclusion that traveling within state on an airline where fares were not regulated uh, were much lower on a per mile basis than traveling between states. So going from Boston to New York was expensive, but going from San Francisco to Los Angeles within the state of California was much less on a per mile basis. So Kennedy championed uh, deregulation in the Senate for airlines. Alfred Kahn had already started the ball rolling and in 1978. Um, a bill was passed and Jimmy Carter signed it and ended entry and price controls in airlines and the rest is history. And part of the argument, at least presented by Carter when he signed that legislation into law, that this, this dovetailed nicely with efforts to control inflation, that, th that this was a part of a larger package meant to help control inflation. Correct. And, and the again, if you took regulatory economics in the 60s and 70s, what regulation meant back then is, is different than it does now. Regulation now has a connotation of the environment and health and safety. But traditionally, regulation was boards that were uh, controlled prices and entry into what were thought of as monopolistically inclined industries, mainly transportation and energy and telecommunications. And that started with the, in 1887 with the Interstate Commerce Commission and thus went almost a century and then the dismantling of that traditional transportation, energy and telecom regulation took place. Um, a lot of it took place under the, under the one-term Carter presidency. We've talked about airline travel, but railroad uh, were also uh, deregulated under the Carter administration. And if I understand correctly, some of the regulation governing railroads was completely incoherent. <laughs> well, railroads, um, railroad regulation in, involved a, a, a cross-subsidy scheme uh, that was rooted in politics. Um, railroads are also a network industry where the economics of obtaining enough revenue to survive depended on price discrimination, i.e. charging some people more on a per mile basis for shipping a given amount of freight than others. So the farther away you were from a destination, the more options you had in railroads, just like airlines, to ship something because you could interconnect along the way. Those prices were lower and then short run, short haul railroad rates were much higher on a per mile basis. But shippers didn't like that. And so th anyway, there was constant attempts to adjust this scheme to keep everybody happy. Um, the problem was freight railroads were going bankrupt. <laughs> so, so freight railroad deregulation was in fact um, not just a political decision. It also – the industry basically um, – well, it was bankrupt. Freight railroads uh, were, were bankrupt and thus there were no – in economic terms, there were no rents and excess profits to redistribute to anybody. And so they gave up the ghost finally in 1980 and deregulated freight railroads. Um, in 2010, uh, the, the journal I edit, Regulation, had a 30-year retrospective on the, the benefits from freight rail deregulation by the original authors who wrote an article in 1981 
in regulation, predicting what would happen. And even they were surprised at how how good the bene- how high the benefits were and how low the costs relative to the costs. The I'll, I'll give you some numbers. Um, in real terms, the real average cost of a revenue ton mile decreased by 31 percent between 1987 and 2008, even though the Railroad Cost Recovery Index, a measure of inflation for railroad inputs, had increased about twice as much as the Producer Price Index. So, so the prices that railroads had to pay were rising rapidly, and yet the prices they charged fell rapidly. That's, I mean, the greatest productivity increase in any sector of the U.S. economy in my adult lifetime has been freight rail. It's the thing that's so most important to the transportation of goods and the lowering of consumer costs all over the United States, and yet hardly anybody knows about it, and certainly no one talks about it on talk radio as best I can well, tell. Because it's, gener- it's a piece of good news. It is. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a piece of good news that slips into the background. We don't notice. And it and occurred under a Democratic president. Not <laughs> so talk radio wouldn't be right. likely to, to pump it up. Now, the, this, the, another example of deregulation uh, during the Carter administration is um, that of commercial trucking. Uh, why is that such a confusing example for economists to explain? Uh, you can make sense of the politics and policy of airlines. You can make sense of the politics and policy uh, and the, the real-world business implications of freight rail. But for commercial trucking, why is that so? Why is that such a difficult thing to understand? Trucking companies in the late '70s and early '80s were unionized and were making lots of money. The wages were high, and there were entry restrictions because of of trucking regulation in interstate commerce. You needed a certificate to enter a route, and they were not granted. And so the carriers that did have those certificates made excess profits. Some of that was shared with labor through the Teamsters Union Agreement. So labor and the owners of trucking benefited from the entry barriers. The losers were consumers. So we have concentrated benefits and diffuse costs. Normally, in an undergraduate economics, political economy class, we would say this kind, this style of, of microeconomic intervention or regulation would be likely to persist because consumers would benefit all a little bit, but not enough to sway their voting decisions, and they wouldn't give to members of Congress to do this. But the Teamsters, in particular, being a union and being part of the Democratic coalition, and unions that were and are an important part of that coalition. Private sector unions, of course, now are much smaller. But back then, unionized truckers not only were important politically, but they also had a history of violence. So that if you messed with them, things happened. And so to this day, economists and political scientists are puzzled that, um, in effect, Congress, once it deregulated rail, realized that trucks were a substitute and or complement for rail and thus economically had to be deregulated as well. But that just, be, just because you can show that in a class doesn't mean it's going to happen politically. I mean, we ag price supports are shown in every economics class to make no sense whatsoever, but we still have them. So usually intellectual uh, uh, rationales are not sufficient for passage of deregulatory bills. And yet in this case, it did happen. And sure enough, trucking entry has occurred, trucking wages have fallen dramatically, and trucking uh, is no longer dominated by unionized violence. It's all gone. And that um, 
there's still an intellectual puzzle about how, how all that happened, but it did happen during the Carter administration. How, and how has that impacted uh, consumer welfare? Well, we now ship, I mean, not only do we ship everything by freight rail, we complete those shipments by truck and trucking. So uh, again, the untold story of American consumer welfare during the last 35 years is a tremendous decrease in the cost of logistics. And we're, we're so interstate trade and, and, and trade between countries is now much larger than it used to be because the costs of shipping everything around have decreased dramatically. Yet another example of the Carter administration uh, being one of deregulating is that as price controls on crude oil. Something we don't talk about much anymore. No. Uh, so so what, what, what was the status before uh, Carter became president? Well, under, president after he left? under President Nixon, the, the oil shock occurred in 1973 and there were phase four price – President Nixon put price controls on the whole economy for 90 days uh, in, in the early 70s. Then gradually there was decontrol and the remaining part of the economy that had price controls was um, crude oil prices if it was imported into the United States. And of course, a lot of oil was imported into the United States. In 1975, Congress rolled back those price controls even further, i.e. the Congress literally legislated that the price of oil had to go down exactly when supplies were short and demand was high. Of course, this, that's why we had the shortages at gas stations then. That legislation in 1975 gave the president discretion to deregulate gradually or at, at whatever rate he determined was appropriate, those price controls on crude oil. And he could do so starting in, in 1979. President Carter exercised that authority and deregulated the price of crude oil gradually from 1979 through the end of 1981. President Reagan is often given credit, particularly by right of center folks, for deregulating oil, but, all, but, it, but he simply accelerated the rate at which the Carter price decontrol was already occurring. So Reagan certainly added to it, but it all started under President Carter. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation magazine. You can read or subscribe to Regulation at our website, cato.org.